welcome to Wurrunga Seventh-day Adventist Church. I hope you enjoy the service today and receive a blessing. Dear Lord, please be with us today as we study this important subject. Bless us with your presence. Lead us, guide us, help us to understand through the Holy Spirit we pray. In the name of Jesus, our God and Saviour. Amen. Last week we looked at the subject, the end of the world, and we looked at what it would be like on the planet as it died and we concluded from our Bible study that the planet was coming to an end. This week we're going to look at what happens when the planet ends. What actually happens? How does the planet end? What happens to human beings? It's an interesting it's an interesting question and the Bible, I want to tell you this morning, the Bible, praise God, has the answers. I don't know too many famous people kind of wish I did, but I don't. The only famous person I think I ever met was my cousin's uncle. Well, what was he famous for? He owned a horse, not just any horse. This was a famous horse. His name was Vander Hum. You may not have heard of Vander Hum. Some of you most definitely will have. Vander Hum won the 1976 Melbourne Cup and my cousin's uncle was either the trainer or the owner, I can't remember. But my cousin, we were living in New Zealand at the time, Vander Hum was a New Zealand horse, he won in the mud and that's very appropriate for a New Zealand horse, he was very famous. And my cousin, we were living in New Zealand at the time, I'm Australian, not a New Zealander, but my dad was over there as a pastor. He was working in the New Zealand, in the North Island of New Zealand with the young people of our church. And my cousin came to visit us from Australia and somehow the message got through to the uncle who either owned or trained Vanderham that we would like to come down and visit him and see this Melbourne Cup winner. It was only two months after Vanderham had won the Melbourne Cup. That Christmas, 1976-77 Christmas. And so as a small boy, I can remember the anticipation, the longing, the excitement I had that we were going from Auckland to Hamilton to visit Vanderham. And I counted the days down. Oh, how I looked forward to meeting this racehorse. I couldn't wait to see him, the Melbourne Cup winner at the height of his fame. When we got in the car, we went down to Hamilton. I was excited that day. I was jumping up and down. We got down to the farm and you know how parents do. They, they, they walked into the house and they began to talk and talk and talk and talk. And finally I couldn't keep my mouth shut any longer. And I looked up at, at my cousin's uncle and I said, look, can we go down to the paddock and see Vander Hum? Where is he? He said, you sure can. He's down to that paddock and he pointed. So off we went down to the paddock to see Vander Hum. And we got there and oh, what a racehorse. Great big huge black stallion running around the paddock, prancing up and down with his mane flying and his tail up. And, you know, we, we, we quickly, there was three or four of us kids, we got grass in our hands. He was excitable. He, 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 was, he was very fidgety. He was, he was just running. Every, he was a real racehorse. And we were able to get him across to, to the side of the, of the paddock and we were able to give him the grass and, and we were just able to, whoa, it was an amazing thing to be padding Vanderhum. There was no other, another old nag next to him. I love animals. Felt a bit sorry for this old nag and I, I saw him there and so I decided that I'd, I'd give him some grass too so I picked some grass. Gave, it was not a very big horse, kind of had a dusty coat. 
uh, didn't look much at all. And I gave this horse uh, some grass, gave him a bit of a pat, you know, some dust came up from his coat. And then I went back to Vanderham. Well, we went back up to the farmhouse and just before we left, the farmer, trainer, owner of Vanderham, he, he says, did you see Vanderham? It was so exciting. We'd been waiting so long for this event. Oh, did we see Vanderham? He was, he was everything. My, my heart, he was everything my mind dreamed he would be. And we began to describe how beautiful Vanderham was. Big, black, stallion, powerful, rippling muscles running around the paddock. And the farmer, owner, trainer, he gets this funny look on his face. And he looks at us kids. And he shakes his head and he's laughing. He said, that's not Vanderham. Vanderham was a little horse next to the big horse. Oh, the dreams of my brothers were shattered. And for the rest of my life, every time we, we get together as a family and we, we celebrate and we laugh about the past, I remind them the story of Vanderham because you know something? He was what we longed for. He's what we were looking for. We were excited. And I was the only one to ever see him. I was the only one to ever pat him. I was the only one to ever spend any time with the Melbourne Cup winner. I was looking forward to it. I was excited. And there are a lot of things in life that I've been looking forward to, that I've been excited about. I I can think of my wife when we were courting. She lived down here in Sydney. I was a young pastor up on the Gold Coast. You know, I used to fly her up. I had no money. In fact, she made me broke. I used to fly her up from Sydney to the Gold Coast. I can remember the anticipation as I'd count the days down until I would see my wife. And then I'd go to the airport and I'd be waiting there for her. I would always have flowers. It was exciting. It was a wonderful time in my life. There are things that we all long for. There are, there are things in life that we're all excited about. Holidays, Christmas, meeting family and relatives after long separation. Things that bring us joy. But you know, in my life on this earth as a Christian... There's one thing I look forward to more than I look forward in seeing Vanderham or even more than I look forward to in seeing my wife. One thing that I look forward to more than anything else. I look forward to it in anticipation. It excites me. It is my hope. And for a few moments this morning, I want to take you to the Bible and I want to share with you what it is. As a Christian Seventh-day Adventist pastor, I look forward to more than anything else. If you have your Bibles, turn to Titus, Titus chapter 2 verse 13. This is Paul the Apostle. Remember last week we talked about the end of the world. We looked about what the conditions of the world would be like at its end. It would be a terrible place, unfortunately. Terrible things would be happening. We got this from Matthew 24, Luke 21. We, We went right through the Bible in various places and we looked at what the Bible and Jesus had to say the world would be like. Terrible place, but Jesus comes and saves the world. And it's this event when Jesus comes and saves the world that I look forward to more than anything else. And we need to look at this from the Bible because there's a lot, well really a lot of nonsense out about this subject in Christianity. And the problem is we don't look at what the Bible says will happen. And that's what we're going to do this morning just for a few moments. Titus chapter 2 verse 13. Paul the Apostle says in Titus 2.13, he said, I am waiting for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of my great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. The one event Paul had in his mind, in his heart, in his life that he was looking forward to more than anything else was the return of Jesus Christ. And that is an experience I share with Paul the Apostle. 
I look forward to the return of Jesus Christ. A Jesus Christ, a great God, my Saviour, who will come back and save this planet. He will save it as it breaks down, as it dies, as it comes to its end. It's Jesus who will save it. And whether or not you are ready when Jesus comes to save the planet is up to you as you choose today whether or not you will invite Jesus into your heart or not. Let me share just a few things. We don't have a lot of time. But let me share with you a few things about what the Bible says about Jesus' return or Jesus, it's known in Christian terms, Jesus' second coming to the earth. Matthew chapter 24, verse 30, 31. This is a text we read last week. We as Christians, we as Australians, if we're going to claim to follow the Bible, if we're going to claim that the Bible has any authority on anything, it is time we started to take notice of what the Bible says on these subjects. The days are gone where it is what I think or what I feel or what I suspect. What matters when we're looking at this subject is what the Bible says. And I want to this morning, for a few moments, unpack for you very clearly what the Bible has to say about the second coming of Jesus. Check these texts out for yourself. Go home, open your Bibles. If you're at home watching this on television, open your Bibles, check the context. I am not misleading you. This is a simple Bible study that my five-year-old, six-year-old daughter at home can understand. What does the Bible have to say about the second coming? Matthew 24, 30 and 31. At that time, verse 30, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will not be happy. Jesus is returning. They will see the Son of Man. This is a visible event. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. This is an event that shakes the very foundations of the earth. If you're alive, you can't miss the second coming of Jesus. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. When Jesus comes, hear me today, the sky will be full of angels. You can't miss it. Jesus will be there. He will be there in great power and great glory. This is an event that if you are alive, you will see, you will hear, you will feel it, you will experience it. This will be power, power, the power of God coming to earth like you, like no one in the history of the planet has ever experienced. This is the return of Jesus Christ, the King. He is not coming back as a servant He is not coming back as a sacrifice. This is Jesus the King coming to save the planet. It's a stirring, stirring event. And I look forward to it with joy in my heart. Yes, there's some trembling, there's some fear, but this is my Jesus. This is my Saviour. This is the God I worship and he's coming back to save me and he's coming back to save you from a planet that's dying if you will just let him into your heart. Let him into your heart. It's a beautiful experience. So let's find out a little bit more of this wonderful event. Revelation. A lot of people say in Christianity that the second coming of Jesus will be a secret. It'll be a rapture and people will just disappear and no one will know where they are. Pilots will be in planes. If they're Christians, they'll just disappear and leave the plane pilotless. Bus drivers, if they're Christians, will just leave, just disappear into the sky. No one will see what happens. They're one moment, gone the next. It's not what the Bible says. And it's time we as Christians, it's time the Christian church confronted the truth of what the Bible says on these subjects. 
Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. I'm just reading the first part of the text. Behold, look, he is coming with the clouds. This is Jesus. And the Bible says every eye will see him. This is not a secret rapture. This is not a secret return. This is Jesus coming and every single eye, if you are alive, you will see him. Whether you're ready for him, whether he lives in your heart or not, you, if you are alive, you will see him. It's a date with destiny that I believe most of you have. Because I believe as you look at the signs of where our world is at, that we could possibly, I pray, see the coming of Jesus in our lifetime. Oh, how exciting that is. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, listen to what Paul says. We need to take notice of what the Bible says on these subjects. He says, listen, he says, listen, use your ears, use your eyes, read what I'm saying. He says, I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep. Wow, praise God, we will not all die, but we shall all be changed. Whether you are dead or whether you are alive when Jesus comes, you will be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Then verse 53 says, for the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable. Those who die must become people who will never die. That's what it means. And the mortal will become immortal. And the Bible says in verse 55, when this happens, we will cry out, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Jesus will change me, yeah, 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 me, into a perfect human being, a sinless human being. Yeah, it's a character and the mind that I always had that is inside of me, that is a part of me. But he changes my body so that I never face sickness, I never face pain, and I certainly will never face death again for eternity. Praise God. What a reward for allowing him into your heart while living on this evil, lost planet. So what happens to the wicked? What happens to those who never follow Jesus? Well, I wish I never had to share this with you. And I want to pray that whether you're in this church or whether you're watching this on television, that this is not your experience. Today is the day that you will choose where you will be when Jesus returns. He invites you to let him into your heart. If you let Jesus into your heart, then praise God, you are saved. It is as simple as that. Look at what the Bible says happens to the wicked. Verse 14 of Revelation chapter 6. The sky receded like a scroll rolling up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. This is an event of power. This is the authority of God coming through Jesus to save the planet. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day, the second coming of Christ, for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? I'll tell you who can stand. Those who let Jesus into their heart. Those who are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Those who are saved by his grace. These are some of the finest experiences a human being can have have while on this planet. They're the ones that are saved, but if you do not let Jesus into your heart, then this event, the return of Christ, will be a horrifying event. It will be something that you won't want to see. You'll be so afraid you'll call. No, I hope that doesn't happen to you. You call for the rocks and the mountains to hide you rather than look at Jesus Christ. What a tragedy. What a needless, senseless tragedy. 
if you are watching this sermon on television, if you are here in this church, then there is no reason, there is no reason for you not to be ready when Jesus comes. There's no reason whatsoever. It is your choice. John 14, 1 to 3, where do we go? Where do we go when Jesus returns? Where do the saints go? John 14, 1 to 3, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. We're going to live with God in his house, in a room in his mansion. If Jesus says, if it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may be where I am. We go to heaven. We don't stay on this earth. Right through the Bible, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, the Bible writers, the prophets, they're very clear that when Jesus comes a second time, we rise up in the air. Jesus does not land on the earth. Jesus does not walk on the earth. He is not here for seven years. He is not here for a thousand years. We rise up into the sky. It's what the Bible says. It's what Paul the Apostle says. It's what John the Apostle said. It's what the disciples said when they wrote. It's what the Old Testament says. We rise up into the air and there we go home with Jesus to heaven. You have a choice. If you want to be there, it is as simple as getting on your knees. Ah, it's good to live with Jesus on this planet, let alone with what he's got in store for us. You want to be there. And I'm going to talk about heaven. My next sermon in this church will be about heaven. I'm going to tell you what it's going to be like in heaven, what we're going to do in heaven. It's wonderful. But you have a choice today. You have a choice this morning. If you want to be there, it's as simple as getting on your knees and praying the sinner's prayer. And I want to pray it with you as we close this morning. Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord Jesus, I want to be your man. Come into my heart. Forgive me for my sins and please, Jesus, wash me with your blood. Help me, Lord, to be through your grace an overcomer. I choose you this morning to be my God. Come into my life. I choose you to be the captain of my soul. Hear my prayer. Bless me. Thank you for saving me in the name of Jesus, our great God and Saviour. Amen. Knowing my heart's cry for freedom, longing to flood your love into the pain of emptiness, to open my eyes to unquenchable love that gave Everything for my freedom, even my Savior's blood, He is wonderful. No one is like Him. His love, unfathomable. No Approached me with gentleness, asking, Where are you? I was hiding for the shame of my nakedness, trying to cover myself in vain. You came to me with your own white garment, you came to me by your sacrifice. He is wonderful.
me by now Surely you'd have given up on me by now But you were right here You stayed right here Your love goes deeper than I ever knew From the dark depths of despair Love lifted me into one